coming up this week, Jeep is the number one plug-in hybrid, Hyundai focuses on performance, Formula E rocks New York City, and more. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 115 of the EV Resource Podcast. I'm Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and interviews with industry experts. We have a new member of the EV Resource Patreon family. Christopher Lawrence has joined Rajiv at the executive producer tier. Thank you, Christopher, for your support, and I look forward to getting to know you better. If you are interested in Patreon, I'll have more information about that at the end of the episode. As always, before we get started with the news this week, I want to thank our podcast partner, Titan Auto & Tire, for their support. Titan has some of the only independent shops in Central Virginia that are qualified to work on hybrids and EVs, and from hybrids to Hummers, they fix everything. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, go to TitanAutoTire.com. That's TitanAutoTire.com. All right, so lead story kicking us off this week. If you think about plug-in hybrids, what are the brands and models that immediately come to mind for you? Probably the Chevy Volt with a V, although it's no longer being made. Uh, Maybe the Toyota Prius Prime or RAV4 Prime. Those are both great vehicles and sell well. Especially you would think of Toyota because, as I mentioned last week, on episode 113, they have eclipsed the 200,000 mark and they've been selling quite well. So maybe you would think of them. But what about Jeep? Yeah, so that's not one that immediately might come to mind, but they have been making the Wrangler plug-in hybrid, the 4xe or 4xe, if you will, um, 4xe for a little while now. And at least here in the US, it seems like they've been doing really well. So well, in fact, that in the first half of this year, the Wrangler 4xe is the number one selling plug-in hybrid. So much so, in fact, that Jeep sold two times as many as second place, the RAV4 Prime from Toyota. Toyota reported about 10,000 models or so of the RAV4 being sold. Jeep sold over 19,000 of the plug-in Wranglers. Now, The numbers might suggest that the Jeep is more popular, and when it comes to plug-in hybrids, that's what people want. Reality might be a little different, and I don't mean to take away from Jeep and Stellantis for making an awesome product that is obviously selling very well, but perhaps the biggest reason for the discrepancy between that and the RAV4 Prime is Toyota just doesn't make many of them. So... really the sales difference could just be that the availability of the 4xe is so much greater. Jeep is a great purchase option, absolutely. Um, It just seems like Stellantis just happens to be making more of them. Unfortunately, if you want an all-electric Jeep, there just isn't one available. Uh, But, you know, that being said, there really isn't an all-electric Toyota available either. And yes, I know people are screaming at their radio or whatever device you're listening to right now. Yes, I know about the the BZ4X. It has started production, but those numbers are still really small, selling only 199 units so far this year. So if you're in the market for a plug-in hybrid, chances are you're going to be able to find the Jeep a lot easier than any other thing. And if you're looking for all-electric, Well, Jeep just isn't going to have it for you. 
Next, car and driver recently attended an event in South Korea by Hyundai named N-Day. N being the performance arm of the brand. The subject was performance through and through, and car and driver writes that the recurring theme was that Hyundai will absolutely not let performance fall by the wayside as electrification becomes ever more deeply ingrained in Hyundai's product lineup. And if you ask me, I couldn't be more excited about it. One of my favorite things about electric vehicles is the performance, how much fun it is to just slam your right foot down and be pushed back in your seat. Now, at this event, there were three models that really captured my attention. One production car was confirmed for the near term, a pure electric Ionic 5N slated to be available next year. And it's probably a safe assumption to make that this vehicle will have more performance than the current range of Ionic 5 trims, which, unfortunately, Hyundai was very tight-lipped about the details, so we'll just have to wait to find out. That being said, I recently tested the all-wheel drive dual-motor Ionic 5 and was very impressed, not only with its 4.5 seconds 0-60 to 60 time, but it also ran the quarter mile in 13 seconds flat. That's pretty impressive considering that some of the best sports cars from the 90s anyway, at least that's what I look to when I remember uh, the best sports cars, <laughs> they were running like the twin turbo Toyota Supra, the fourth gen. That ran the quarter in 13.2. So that's kind of the benchmark that I use when I consider a, if a car is quick in the quarter mile or not. The fact that the current Ionic 5 does it in 13, I would bet that any end performance trim will offer better numbers and maybe something that could rival the performance model 3 from tesla or other evs in the low three seconds zero to 60 range don't know this of course it's entirely speculative but we could certainly hope the second vehicle that i want to touch on was the rn22e it is a sports sedan concept that is going to be based on the Ionic 6, more streamlined body. It's going to be all-wheel drive, dual motor, built on the same EM eGMP platform, 800 volt. Vo ugh, I can't talk. 800 volt architecture, and they say that the power output is going to be in line with the current EV6 GT from Kia. 577 horsepower, 546 pound-feet of torque. That is awesome. But it's going to be a lot more than just the Kia EV6's powertrain in different clothing. The RN22E's direct drive transmission has also been fitted with dual-clutch torque vectoring, so that'll not only improve agility and corner exit traction, but it will also explore the potential benefits of torque vectored regenerative braking at turn-in. So brakes, suspension, um, suspension, a math... Oh, man, <laughs> I really can't talk. I'm sorry, guys. A massive rear wing and even a wide body kit show off the vision that Hyundai has for the RN22e. And if they get anywhere close to what they revealed in the concept, I think it's going to be a real winner for a production vehicle. The third vehicle, the other concept, was one that seems to be getting the majority of the headlines. And quite frankly, that's not too surprising 
with styling somewhat reminiscent of the DeLorean from the 80s, the Envision 74 is a stunning concept that would win you over with looks alone, but perhaps it's what's underneath the skin that is a bit more important. The Envision 74 is a two-seater, rear-wheel drive, 671 horsepower, hydrogen fuel cell sports car. That's right, hydrogen. And I know there's lots of give and take whether hydrogen's the future or not, um, but there's a reason that they put that into this car, and I will get to that in a second. But before I do, dual electric motors in the rear, so it's not front and rear, it's dual electric motors in the rear, they team up for a maximum combined output of 671 horsepower and 664 pound-feet of torque. This thing is set to be a monster. Hyundai actually says that the 0-60 to 60 will come in less than four seconds, which, honestly, it, that's pretty much a given if you ask me. I think they're holding back on that. Realistically, I think closer to the three-second, maybe a touch quicker depending on traction control software and all of that. But I mean, this is going to be a beast. Electricity to power those motors comes from two sources, 62.4 kilowatt hour battery pack that can be charged just like you would any other EV, complete with the same 800 volt fast charging capability of the Ionic 5 and 6, and an 85 kilowatt hydrogen fuel cell that produces electricity on demand. So the fuel cell is used to recharge the battery to extend the range while underway and to provide extra power when demand is high. But the team will also explore deployment strategies that will reduce the draw on the battery to manage its temperature in a range of driving situations up to and including extended lapping on a racetrack. And that is the part that I think is really... Uh, has not been emphasized enough in any of the articles that I read about the Envision 74. I think this is the future of electric motorsport, and I've not really been a huge uh, supporter or fan even of hydrogen to be used in EVs. But one of the biggest drawbacks to electric vehicles in motorsport is range. Even in Formula E, the race is has a limit because the battery packs will not last. So if you want to see something like an Indy 500, a 500-mile race, or a Daytona 500, you're not going to be able to have it with battery power alone. And I honestly, I can see hydrogen being a way to, to do that without having harmful emissions. Extreme E already uses hydrogen, so maybe, just maybe, we'll see performance vehicles of the future going in that direction for longer distances on the racetrack. And I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the Vision 74 being more than just a look what we can do from Hyundai. The chances of it actually making it into a production version are probably likely fairly slim. But still, I think it highlights some very important points for potential technology in the future. Next, the king of speed has been dethroned. The quickest accelerating production vehicle is no longer the Tesla Model S. 
zero to sixty in one point nine nine asterisk uh, <laughs> is officially slow. Okay, that's not true. Zero to sixty in two seconds uh, is still very very quick, but. It's not the quickest. No, that title belongs to the Rimac Nevera, and that's right. It can do it quicker. The new king of quick will do a 0 to 60 in 1.85 seconds. And if that were it, then, you know, that alone would be fairly impressive. But the Nevera will go on to do 0 to 200 miles an hour in 11.2 seconds. And it has a top speed of 258 miles an hour. Or so. I've seen some reporting that say 260, but maybe they were just rounding up. I don't know. Uh, I'm not going to split hairs. It's We'll call it 258 miles an hour, which honestly is faster than I will likely ever go in my life. Maybe you too. The Navara has four electric motors that generate a combined 1,914 horsepower and 1,696 foot-pounds of torque. Those are just insane numbers. Now, all of this is fine and good, but the point I'm getting to here is that these are now statistics of a production vehicle. Yes, the Rimac has started production. Here's what the company said in a press release. Quote, after five years of development and testing, three generations of powertrain technology, 18 prototypes, 45 physical crash tests, and more than 1.6 million collective hours of research and development, the very first full production version of the Rimac Navara has rolled off the production line. Now, hand-building of the Navara will continue at a rate of up to 50 units each year, delivered to customers all over the world. Sure, 50 doesn't sound like very many, but at a price tag of $2.4 million, I don't suspect that there are many, very many more people who would actually buy one each year. Okay, actually, that's probably not true either. I bet there are a lot of people with that kind of money to throw around. Sadly, I'm not one of them. Maybe someday I just need to pump up the YouTube numbers a bit more and then we'll be good. Or if any of you have that kind of money and want to uh, at least just lend me one for a day to do some performance tests, I could go for that too. Okay, moving on. Some exciting EV news coming out of Topeka, Kansas. Yeah, you heard me right. Kansas, that empty space in the center of the country, home of the rolling plains and almost nothing else except my parents. They live there. Um, now it has some exciting news to share regarding the future of EV battery production from Panasonic. Panasonic plans to build a $4 billion, 4,000 employee factory in Kansas to make batteries for the rapidly growing electric vehicle market, Governor Laura Kelly announced on Wednesday. The Japanese electronics giant is planning to invest several billion dollars for an EV battery factory in DeSoto in Johnson County, Kelly confirmed late Wednesday afternoon in Topeka. The announcement concludes a national search for a new site and a heated competition between state officials in Kansas and Oklahoma, the two finalists for the project. Leaders have previously said the factory can employ as many as 4,000 workers with an average annual salary of $50,000. So that's not a bad job to have. I mean, it pays fairly well. And honestly, for Kansas, that's really good. Um, 
Well, I shouldn't have emphasized that as much, maybe. But uh, look, $50,000 a year in Kansas goes a lot further than many other places around the country. So that's good news, especially for anybody that might be looking at a new job in that area. Next, this past weekend saw electric racing action on the shores of the U.S. again as Formula E took the took to the streets of Brooklyn, New York for a doubleheader weekend, rounds 11 and 12, that started with round 11, the first race ending in utter, absolute chaos. The result of rain hitting the area and flooding the track caused race cars to hydroplane and go off the course in epic style. You can look at the uh, replay on YouTube, and some of the drivers just went on straight at seemingly full speed when they should have been making a turn. Ultimately, the race would end in a red flag, which honestly, uh, looking back, of course, everything's 2020, but when you have rain that bad and cars on racing slicks, it's just never going to end, uh, you know, in a good result. Uh, crashed car by Nick Cassidy ended up being awarded the race win because, before the crashing and everything started to happen, he was leading. Now, he did get passed after he crashed, but I guess the uh, race officials felt like just the conditions were were a bit much, and so they kind of walked that back and awarded the win and kind of ended things at that point. The second of the two races, round 12, was definitely a bit more calm, except for maybe the front, right at the very start, Larder jump-started and then backed off, significantly losing placement, falling from third, where he was starting on the grid, to 12th, all before the first corner. That is not something that you want to see if you are a fan of his. But it didn't seem to affect the overall results of the race, though. Ultimately, DaCosta would lead from pole to checkered flag, earning him the 25 championship points for first place. The current championship points have Stoffer Van Dorn in first place with 155 points, Eduardo Motara close behind with 144 points after a fantastic weekend finishing both races on the podium, Mitch Evans in third place in the championship with 139 points, and because there's so many drivers, I'm not going to go through the rest of the field, but uh, you can look at that on Formula E's webpage. Rounds 13 and 14 are set to take place in London at the end of this month. I believe it's the 30th and 31st of July, uh, give or take. It's close to that. But you can check the Formula E webpage for all of the details. Next, some more electric racing, but this one is the American Solar Challenge. It is now complete. The 16-day, 1,470-mile challenge that saw its start in Independence, Missouri, finished in Twin Falls, Idaho. Ten teams from across the country, which were made up of mostly schools like Iowa State, Principa College, App, uh, App State, or Appalachian State University, they all tackled the long track piloting vehicles running on 100% solar energy. Two classes of vehicles, single-seat occupancy and multi-seat occupancy, were running simultaneously with winners awarded in each category. Last year, I actually had the pleasure of seeing these vehicles in person in Kansas when I was out visiting my parents. And um, 
it was it was a fascinating experience to be able to talk with the teams and get a greater understanding of the technology that was really going in to the cars that they were driving. If you want, to, I did do an interview, so if you want to check that out, it's on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show note, and uh, you can check that out. This year saw many of the same players as previous years, including some that I had gotten a chance to meet and talk to. So it was neat to to kind of follow along with their their progress for this year. The winners in the single occupant vehicle class, Kentucky came in third place, Principal College in second, and the win went to MIT with a total of 1,940 miles completed. In the multi-occupant vehicle class, third place was taken by Poly Montreal, second by App State, and first place went to Minnesota with 1,698.8 miles completed. And for clarification, the base distance was 1,470 miles, but teams could complete additional mileage loops in order to achieve a longer distance. So big congratulations to the teams that had so much success this year. And uh, that's it for the American Solar Challenge in 2022. What I really think is interesting about the American Solar Challenge is that a lot of the technology that is going into powering these cars only on solar, especially in the multi-occupant vehicle class, I expect to see that technology kind of make its way into production vehicles eventually. And the reason I think that is there's a great example. The Lightyear One is a solar EV that, granted, it's very expensive, but the team that created that actually started in the, uh, I think it was the World Solar Challenge, the one that takes place across Australia. And they have taken that knowledge and experience and gone on to actually make the Lightyear One. So, I think in the future, we'll see more and more solar EVs being an option, a practical option for, you know, everyday driving. All right. And the last news story I have for you is about electric racing as well. Kinda. Uh, Extreme E, our favorite electric off-road racing series, has struck a deal with Turn 10 Studios and will have the Odyssey 21, the race vehicle, clad in all of the team's livery, or livery, livery? Livery. Uh, in Forza Horizon 5, which is a video game for the Xbox. And I don't know about all of you, but I play Forza a lot, and I am super excited to check this out. The update comes out Tuesday the 19th. So uh, that actually happens to be the day I'm recording this and I can't wait to check it out because it seems like it's going to be so cool. I think it's really neat to see Extreme E being added to one of the most popular driving games to have ever been made. Not only will this push more people to become fans of Extreme E, I'm sure, but also just pushing that the, the narrative that electric vehicles can be fun and can do things that other vehicles can do as well. That is in a very important message. And to kids that are playing these video games, it's important for them to kind of normalize electric vehicles doing awesome things. 
Okay, so that's your show for this week. I want to thank our Patreon supporters at the executive producer tier, Rajiv Narayan, and, of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Christopher Lawrence joining him. For their support, they receive ad-free episodes of the EV Resource Podcast, an invitation to the monthly EV Resource Patreon water cooler chat, and the first of which is scheduled for this coming Saturday, the 23rd. And, of course, their name in the show notes and shared with you all here on the podcast week after week. I cannot thank the Patreon family enough for their contributions. It means so much, and genuinely, I am humbled by the support. If you are unable to contribute on Patreon, that's perfectly okay. I only have one thing to ask of you. Share this podcast with a friend or anybody that you know that is interested in electric vehicles. That's it. Um, Okay, that's not it. If you can, (laughs) uh, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the YouTube channel. So I really have, I guess, three things to ask. Share it, leave a rating, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. All of these things are free, and they take very little time. But on my end, they make a huge difference. So go do that, please, and thank you. Uh, let's see. A reminder to get your tickets for the Electric Vehicle Fall Festival taking place at Dominion Raceway in Virginia on September 18th. For right now, $10 will get you in the door, but starting in August, the pricing will be going up to $15. So take advantage of the early bird pricing if you are within a couple hundred miles and you want to attend what looks like going to it's going to be the most fun and biggest EV event in the Mid-Atlantic region. I invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com. You can find me on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, Just search EV Resource and you'll see it pop up. But that is it for this podcast. So thank you so much for being with me and I'll catch you next week.